Welcome to a new episode of the Human Centipod. I'm Jason, and I'm here with Fred. Hello! And we were thinking about doing a Christmas episode. But episode 26, Ho Ho Horror, the 2017 Xmas Christmas special, is something that we're still immensely proud of, and uh, we would point you in that general direction if you're looking for some Yuletide horror discussions and suggestions. However, we will close this episode with a one recommended Christmas piece each, so stay with us for that. Hey kids, how would you like to hear this on the screen, instead of the great show you came to see? That's what you sound like. Honest. Please cooperate and do your part in keeping this theater quiet, so everyone, including you, can enjoy it. I remember lots of adults and kids, too, paid admission to enjoy the show. We must insist on absolute quiet. So 2020, what a fucking year. Yeah, what a f- fucked up part of this. I, I don't know. Of the, I, you know, it's, everything has been so fucked up. But, you know, you know, just go with the flow. It is where it is. Up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We went from sunshine and happiness and cuddly feelings to grey, bleak isolation and cabin fever. You know, so stuff like Joe D'Amato's Texas Gladiators or Benicio Del Toro's Pacific Rim all make sense. And there could be news feeds instead of fantasy sci-fi horror flicks. (laughs) We have discussed this earlier. We've been looking a lot to comfort movies. I've been watching a lot of spaghetti westerns and Eurocrime. Uh, I'm looking into a lot of short UK television horror from the 70s and 80s right now. And you've been diving into a lot of good old stuff like Bert I. Gordon and sci-fi horror classics. And in the last few days, I noted that you've been looking into some of the excellent Yeselcam cinema outlets. Yes, there's such an endless... I mean, it's it, it's endless entertainment it it you know it it never ends you can just pick one of those films from your collection and put it on you don't even have to have subtitles on to be honest because <laughs> i have a couple of those dvds where i don't understand anything but it's so it's so in a very positive way very childish and naive they just went out yeah. with their cameras and shot i don't know how cheap these movies were you know i mean i'm i'm sure we we're not talking more like than you know five six hundred dollars per movie some of them at least you know there's but you know they have so so much energy and it's you know i often turn the volume up really loud here in the evening so you, so my, my 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 dear husband will be terrorized by this sound effect he actually yesterday he turned around and he said if i don't look at the the picture it sounds like some kind of hardcore torture techno <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah yeah and but that's that's the fun of it i'm you know I, I kind of ignore my my amazing Onar films collection for a number of years. I'm mm. you know planning to go through them one by one now. You know what a what a blast from the past. Oh yeah, good stuff, good stuff. But amongst all this popcorn and bacon fat, we're going to discuss today what's been on our screens. It's been made this year, and which actually stands out as a beacon of hope that 2020 wasn't all about Trump tardisms and global pandemonies and uh, cavern fever frustrations. So let's dig into it and start firing away. Well, one one of the the the, the first new movies I saw this year was Lee Vanell's The Invisible Man. Which I, you know, he he did. Uh, uh, what's the other movie he made uh, before that one? Upgrade. Um, Upgrade, yeah, which I loved. I think Upgrade was a great, great movie, and mm-hmm. I would say that The Invisible Man kinda is in the same style as some kind of uh, technological throwback '90s feeling thriller. Mm-hmm. In that direction, at least. That I, I'm, I'm sorry if I offend someone there, but uh, the Invisible Man is like. Um, I just I I thought it was so smart. I I was it was smart and it was uh, it, it is it dared to be uh, edgy in, in a time where 
where incels and fanboys still mm -hmm. are ruling the internet because this is dealing of course exactly with incel culture the, yeah. the idea that if you're a man you own your woman mm -hmm. and this one is um it's for me it was very very hard hitting i mean I, I lived in a destructive relationship a long time ago and i i, I felt it very very close to mm. cl close to me when i watched it and uh, what's her name who plays the lead she's uh, elizabeth moss yeah exactly what a great actress yeah and, she's good there and it's also so nice to see someone that feels and acts and she's so natural she looks I'm, I'm sorry, you know, sorry, to, she, she looks normal. She mm. looks like a normal mm. woman, you know, she's uh, not, doesn't mean any, any bad to anyone who doesn't look like her, but she looks, <laughs> she's, she's very low key. She's, she's like, uh, she's like your neighbor. Yeah. And that makes it even more realistic, I think. And I love the ending, cynical, mm. hard, radical ending, which I know some people I know felt a little bit upset by because it's so cold, mm. but I, yeah, I dig that. Yeah, and the ending, I mean, it couldn't really have ended in, in many other ways. It's kind of what I usually refer to as like a feel-good horror <laughs> because you go through all of this shit and then you get a takeaway at the end, which is like, yeah, that's, that's pretty satisfying. That's what I can, I can that, that's, yeah, that's what we needed to end this film. Yeah, you, you're correct. I, 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 for a number of years, I've been working on a text and an essay that I will never finish uh, called like female enlightenment in occult horror, you know, <laughs> where, I, where, where I do like uh, uh, Lords of Salem or The Witch or mm -hmm. uh, uh, Midsommar, which, which deals with this. In many ways, they are also feel good horror. Yeah. Because because they lead up to an ending which is truly good and beautiful mm. for the the leading actress. It's cathartic in a way, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It feel you feel relieved, you know. There's no silly morale at yeah, the end. Yeah, do this or whatever. Mm. Which is important because a lot of a lot of films do end up with that stupid little taped on moral bullshit at the end, which we yeah, don't really need. No, no. Okay, moving on. The next film would be. I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Charlie Kaufman. Well, Kaufman always has a way of fucking with our heads in his movies, and this is definitely no exception. At first, you know, you're watching this film and then you go, ooh, that was a really bad continuity mistake. And then it happens again. <laughs> and then you start to realise that, wait, it might not have been a continuity mistake, and the oddness of the piece just latches on. And it's it's it's... It's based on a book, and it did receive some kind of critique for changing certain elements, but I find it works really good anyhow. And it's a weird kind of movie because it's really, really slow-paced, and it really just gradually evolves. And it's not for everybody, but there's something in the mood about the film that I really enjoy. And it's you're basically trying to puzzle it all together. You know, what the hell is going on here? and Where does this all fit in together? And I mean, in a nutshell, a, a guy takes his girlfriend home to meet his parents and stuff just doesn't really click. Uh, Tony Collette and David Willis are solid as a, in the performance as the parents. And also, it's really, really good to see Jesse Plemons, who plays the, the, the male lead, take on such a big part rather than being like, the somewhat dumb-witted supporting characters that he always gets to play, you know, like in Breaking Bad or El Camino. So I'm thinking Vending Things is one of the highlights for me this year. Definitely something to check out. I, I've seen it and I'm, I've seen it once and I was very, very, I don't like to use this word, but I was confused afterwards. I'm, I'm rarely not confused. I, I often, you know, can puzzle things together. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I think about it and I have a, aha, you know, some insight but here I, I never reached that conclusion actually so I I I, I, I really love the, the, the actors all around mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the, there's a scene when they're driving in a in, in a car in the in the winter storm and they're mm -hmm. having odd long conversation which for me was the highlight of the the, the whole and I Absolutely. also like I also like the, the the dance number to be honest but, <laughs> I still, I'm still not entirely sure, you know, what to, to think about it. I, I mean, you know, I'm, 
I'm, uh, I should uh, revisit it, absolutely. Mm. Well, you should, because when I first watched it, I felt like, you know, ah, well, all right, it's not really all there. But the more I was thinking about it, you know, when you've been immersed in something, you take it, take it with you out of the experience and you continue thinking about it. The more I was thinking about it, the more I started to like it, and the more I was finding, yeah, well, hang on, well, that was pretty cool. And exactly as you mentioned there, the, the, the driving through the snowstorm, which just goes on forever, but it's you know it's so interesting i mean it's it's so well written and obviously being a charlie kaufman movie you know you do come out of it thinking hang on i'm not really sure what that was all about there you know until it starts dropping down you know the the coins fall into place well i wish i had some of those coins actually uh but maybe i'll get it after uh... well we could go into it in the detail i could explain it all if you want to well, if you send me send me like a, a short pitch. Yeah, I'll the, send I'll send you a short pitch. One film that really really uh, got to me in in the in a beautiful old school way was William Eubanks Underwater mm. with Kristen Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you know I remember when I saw the trailer at the end of uh, 2019 and I saw. Well, I, I, first of all, I, I felt, okay, this is exactly like Alien. <laughs> yeah. It's like Alien. This is, feels like a, a, a big budget uh, Corman movie, but more better written, you know. It felt like, uh, what's it called? Uh, George P. Cosmatos, uh, Leviathan, you know, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. In, in that school. And in many ways, that's true, because Underwater isn't original at all, but it's also very well written. It's mm. a super well-written Shanger movie. And it's so back to basics. You know, it has a silly monster. It has uh, Stuart as a fantastic heroine. You know, I, I you know, she's, she, she's, a uh, she's great in it. It's yeah, great. I agree. I agree. She is really, really, really solid. I mean, I mean, also the production value values of it was, it, it, it kind of feels odd that you take such a script and give it, I don't know what this could, what this could have cost, you know, 20, 30, 50 million dollars or more, you know, mm. and you read it and you feel, okay, this is like a Corman movie from <laughs> 89. Let's give it a lot of money, mm. you know, <laughs> just looking at the script. But it turn, turns out so well. So I, I really, I, I remember I saw some negative comments, negative feedback on it in the beginning, but I think it's one of those movies like, yeah, uh, um, um, like Event Horizon, for yeah. example, who, who will grow. People yeah. will appreciate more and more and more when they kind of let go of that fancy, oh, you can't do this kind of, kind of silly genre movie nowadays. <laughs> but you can. You can. Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Underwater, a top-notch uh, monster flick. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's something of a, of a threshold that you, know, you have to get up and beyond the, you know, that it is so like Alien and Leviathan and the Rift for its own good. You know, some scenes are like, okay, check, <laughs> okay, check. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, felt, really... I mean, it felt like a, a big budget homage in some ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a love for the genre there, and you know, I. Oh yeah. Which reminds me, I saw a trailer for a new Bruce Willis movie the other day called Breach, a Canadian mm -hmm. movie where Bruce is on a spaceship with a. A gang of quirky characters, some <laughs> soldiers, some you know the usual, and there's a monster aboard the spaceship. Oh no! What's uh, he gonna do? Bore them to death? Yeah, <laughs> but but I, I was kind of happy, you know, to, that Bruce has has uh, gone down so low in his yeah. career now that he's doing Canadian alien ripoffs. Yeah, know? he might need yeah. that. <laughs> That'd be exactly what he needs. Yeah, I will watch that movie. You know, oh, yeah, of course you will. <laughs> And you should. I mean, it's, it's yeah. fun. I mean, the only thing—the only thing that really bugged me with underwater was uh, there's a line that the douchebaggy guy delivers when Stuart. It's actually when she saves him, the first meeting they have, when she saves him from the rubble of the destroyed underwater station, and he goes, "Oh, you sweet flat-chested elven creature," and I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" You know. You'd never hear a line saying, oh, look, you be a belly-gutted, pimple-dicked ogre. You know, nobody would ever say that to a guy. So that actually, I found that to be a bit of shit writing because there's a hundred ways of putting the douchebag guy on the map without, you know, being about her body type. 
yeah, and yeah, especially yeah. when she's carrying this movie, you know, because nobody else really brings anything to the table. I mean, even Vincent Cassell is just like an extra. I mean, not really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know, he doesn't have the driving force and the, the 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 active part that she has in this. And I was surprised what it actually was, considering what I was expecting from it. And speaking of uh, things that surprised, Sputnik was a film that really surprised me. A Russian film. I loved this because it was really you know, like an old school monster paranoia thing with a, a pretty decent monster in the mix at the end of it all. It's, you know, it's, it's a classic horror-based movie setup. You know, a mission goes wrong, the cosmonauts return to Earth, and then it appears that there's something wrong with one of them. And this is also one of those films which was, you know, it was a lot better than I was expecting. And it was a really pleasant surprise, Sputnik. Would you throw it in the same bunch as like, uh, uh, you know, uh, underwater or uh, or um, or life or, you know, this uh, kind of... Uh, modern takes on on on, on this this genre. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I would definitely put it in the same kind of you know area as underwater. <laughs> no, but I want to see it. I, I still haven't seen it. I feel like a failure, Jason. You know, for having seen it, it's like the the genre movie I've been looking forward most to to, to see this year. And I every day I go out on the net and oh, is there a Blu-ray out? You know. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure there, there there is, but I I haven't found it not yet. Well, thank God we're putting this list together, so you've got a couple of tips and recommendations, and you can yes, keep yes, it in yes. mind to watch it. You know, I haven't seen many movies from Brazil. Uh, to be honest, I've seen some cool genre movies, you know, shot on on video a few mm. years ago and stuff, which I enjoy. I like the energy they have over there. There's a lot of passion in the filmmaker, the, the little I've seen. Mm. But this year I saw a movie called uh, Bac Urao by uh, Juliando Dornelles and Kleber Mendoza, 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 maybe, Philo, which is kind of how to, it's, it's, I would say it's some kind of action satire drama. Uh, mm -hmm. Set in a small uh, village out on the countryside, which is uh, constantly in different ways attacked and destroyed by a bunch, bunch, a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of, you know, Nazis, basically led by Udo Kier of all people. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, when you just read the, when you read the, the, the you know, the pitch for it, the storyline, it's it kind of feels like a very cheap exploitation movie in and in many ways it is an exploitation movie <laughs> he, they they toy with with this old concept of the small village hitting back from you know on bad guys but you know this one is so fucking classy this is so smart and warm and pretty violent also and i mean udo is you know he's always cool whatever he does but mm. it also have sonia braga which I somehow, she's, she's, you know, I haven't seen much. I, I remember I saw Sonia Braga in some Clint Eastwood movie in the 80s. And yeah. I, I thought, yeah, she's really cool, you know, but she's, she's back. She's, she's, she's old, wrinkly, drunk in this one. And, you know, she's so great. She's uh, the, uh, probably the highlight, the acting highlight of the whole movie, but the, the, the film itself is, it's, as you can hear, it's very difficult to, yeah. to describe. Uh, but I mean, just, ah, you know, it's cool art house mixed with cool exploitation yeah. and with a message that you should fucking hit back when those fucking Nazis come. Okay, sounds really good. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds, it sounds excellent. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it, it's, I don't know how to describe it the best way because it's kind of, you know, it faces between different genres yeah. and, and but still also have a very strong vision uh, of the story. Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to say, Jason. Just watch it. Yeah, know? will do. It's definitely yeah. going on my list. I'm sure you dig it. Yeah, I saw the previous film called Aquarius, which also has Braga in the in the lead, and it's absolutely phenomenal. So I will definitely be checking out this film. Is it in some specific genre, or or? Uh... It's more of a drama, and it's about how she actually sounds kind of like the same message you were talking about. It's like you know sticking up for yourself and fighting back and not giving up, because she lives in a in a in a block of houses and they want to wanted to move out and she refuses. Okay, okay. I, I will, she's I will just a, get it. 
And she's just like a cool, kick-ass old woman, which is cool because it also goes to show that, you know, even elder female actors can still carry a movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then again, it's not not a Hollywood movie, obviously, so... (laughs) It's much better because it's not an English... No, okay. Moving along, The Dark and the Wicked by Brian Bertino. I've come to notice that the older I get the more I find I'm liking bare-bones slow burners. Perhaps because there's something of like a a 70s horror pre-slasher period in them. You know, it's more about atmosphere and feeling and, you know, emotions. I don't know. But that slow pace, just let it grow, let it sink in, let it worm its way to the front. There's just something I really, really enjoy about that. And especially when I was looking through this list this morning. And The Dark and the Wicked is such an example of, you know, slow, progressive, suggestive and quite excellent slow burn horror. It tells the story of a brother and sister who return to the rural farm where they grew up on as their father is dying. But the mother says, you shouldn't have come here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's determined that, you know, that the devil is trying to claim the father's soul. And I found it to be quite effective, you know, it kind of fucks around with time slash dream reality, which is always fun. And I didn't really know any of the actors, although that said, Xander Berkeley has a small but important role. And for me, Xander Berkeley will always be associated with good times and old gems like all of his Alex Cox films, you know, like Sid and Nancy, Straight to Hell, Walker, and stuff like that, more than the hundreds of other perhaps more significant stuff he's been in. But it it has like a rather bleak, slow, dark, and a couple of, you know, good moments where you feel like, shit, that scared me. So that is a, a little, small film that I found to be really effective this year, The Dark and the Wicked. I've never heard about this movie. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm ashamed. I probably should have heard about it, but I, I, I don't even recognize the title, so, which also makes me more curious, of course. It kind of sounds like uh, like one of these neo-horror films which some fancy film critic will say. It's not horror, really. It's more mm-hmm. a drama. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 after your description, at least. But I don't mind that. Uh, I mean, I, is it horror? It's horror. You know, no matter the 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 the, the pacing or the the, the way of sto- storytelling. Yeah. Well, you know me, Jason. I love cheap direct to dvd movies you know straight to video i i i you know i I suck them up like some evil energy creature you know feeding my 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 soulless heart basically and this year i will give the title to best i think last year i i choose the the latest doom movie but this year i'm going even wilder it's Deep Blue Sea 3. <laughs> 3? I didn't even know yeah. there was a 2. <laughs> exactly. That's that's something I heard a lot, you know. A lot of, you know, is, are, is there a sequel? Is there two sequels? And that's a, a truth with the modification, because both of the sequels are basically low budget or lower budget uh, uh, remakes of the first they basically do. It's, it's, it's the same story you know the the part two they they're in an underwater base but in part three they're they're really radical and they're on a floating base mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but but uh, uh, truth be told deep blue sea three is such a beautiful well-made uh killer shark movie it's gory it looks quite expensive the mm-hmm. cgi sharks looks really 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 good for for the genre you know it's they're clearly a lot better than how they looked in the first movie by now um and it has a not original at all writing but it's witty and it's fun and you can see that the actors obviously had a fun time you know swimming around out there or, mm. or sunbathing in between takes because everyone <laughs> looks very comfortable with with doing this doing this film and i i mean i i i, I 
I know, I, I, I'm silly here, but I really think Deep Blue Sea 3 is one of my favorite genre movies of 2020. I don't know what that says about this year, but yeah, yeah, yeah I can't help it. I can't help it. There, there is something magical with direct-to-video sequels that comes years and years after the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, do, you, do you remember Backdraft, the, the, fi the yeah. fire? Yeah. yeah. You know, there was a sequel like one or two years ago, direct straight to DVD, mm -hmm. uh, straight to video. Uh, Donald Sutherland is back in it. Uh, it's quite decent also. It's made by the same production company as Deep Blue C3. Uh, it's like, uh, it's classy and spectacular and, you know, a bit, a little bit more stupid than the first. Uh, <laughs> but people are on fire and there's some explosions and everything, yeah. you know, so. Can't, can't resist a good fire effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's more killer sharks for the people. Cool. Moving on down my list, I realize that you know this could be the same synopsis as several other films on my list. Mm -hmm. But there's a film uh, which really, 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 really blew me away this year called Relic. It's uh, an Australian-American film by a female director called Natalie Erica James, and it's her first feature. She's done several shots earlier. But brooding is a good way to describe this movie. It's got Emily Mortimer, Bella Heathcote, who was in The Endemon, and Robin Nevin as the leads. And it's basically a female cast as well. Mortimer and her daughter return home to look after her, Mortimer's parent, her mother, Nevin, who clearly has some form of Alzheimer's. But she's reluctant to accept this, of course. And the longer the movie plays, the more we understand that it might not only be Alzheimer's. And it, you know, it has a great what the fuck ending, which makes complete sense in the universe that it's set in. Might not be a feel-good horror, but it definitely makes sense when you get there. Emily Mortimer's just fantastic in it. And Robin Nevin, the, the mother of the old woman, she just steals every scene as this creepy old woman who just, you know, with like the slightest effort, you know, just with like a slight shift of facial expression totally alters the mood and, you know, brings such creepiness to the piece. So Relic, really, really good. Could be worth, you know, deeper analysis, but this is as far as I'm going today. And it's really good film. Definitely oh, worth it. Yeah, I have to see it. You sold it very, very well here. To me. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should be getting a percentage on the film. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> this, this is there a Alzheimer's exploitation genre going on? I remember M Night Shyamalan did one. Uh, I think it's called The Visit or something like that a couple of years ago, where two kids visit their, their grandparents and uh, there yeah. might be some Alzheimer's going on, or maybe not. Do you remember that one? Yeah, there could be, there could be, because that's, you know, that's partly what, you know, the Dark and the Wicked, you know, has that kind of a vibe to it as well. You know, is the mother really all there or not? Yeah. So it could be Alzheimer's exploitation. So, <laughs> that's, a, that's a new one. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the Italians to make a trash version of them then. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll, have a, you'll have a load of old, old wheat. Actually, I was just going to say, you'll have a load of old, old people naked, but you do in the relic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. You did these beautiful. You should celebrate our bodies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Body positivity. Age will. Uh, I don't know. It's like Age. wine. Just mature. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tastes a bit bitter towards the end, but you know. Yeah. All grapes are wrinkly. <laughs> my last movie, my last feature movie, is uh, maybe an obvious choice to be honest, but I. I truly like this one and it's not because i'm a huge fan of uh, one of the leading actors in it but it's richard stanley's color out of space yeah uh, and first of all i'm so happy to see richard stanley back in the director's chair after many years i mean he's done other stuff short movies and documentaries yeah. you, know, you know dealing with a big project and dealing with uh, cosmic horror and Lovecraft and Nicolas yeah. Cage. You know, it's like a, it's, it's like a, a dream come true somehow. Uh, it, when I first read the news, I was like, you know, what? Can, can this be true? Do we live in a time where all these three things, you know, emerge together? Mm. And 
I've, I've, uh, I, I personally loved it a lot, even at the first time, but I've also seen uh, some friends who didn't love it. They had, they needed a couple of views to kind of absorb it. Uh, yeah. Maybe they were expecting something like Mandy, which, mm -hmm. al which also I would say is in, you know, psychedelic horror genre. Uh, but uh, uh, Color Out of Space is also so much more Richard Stanley with, with the different levels of uh, occultism and magic. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absurdity, you know, and he has a very distinct style of telling stories. And it's also, you know, like I say, Nicholas Cage, I, I love the guy, but he makes a lot of crap. I mean, I, I mean, I, I saw one recently called Jiu-Jitsu, which sounded great on paper, but we watched it and felt this was the worst shit ever. <laughs> Poor Nicholas Cage, where, where he do this thing. But then <laughs> from time to time, he do a Mandy or Colorado Space, or uh, I think he's coming up with a new movie next year called The Unbearable Weight of Talent, where he plays himself, mm -hmm. who, because he runs out of money, is forced to to mingle at the party at some billionaire uh, <laughs> and get mixed up in some kind of drug cartel thing. What I heard is a quite bizarre, fun, uh, uh, smart uh, drama action comedy. Uh, can't wait to see that one. But Colorado Space, so much fun, so much fun. Uh, it has, uh, it has uh, some goo and gore and, and lovely colors and uh, you feel, you know, when I first saw it, and and uh, uh, is it uh, Sheets? Uh, no, it's Tommy Chong in the yeah. in the show. Yeah. yeah, Tommy Chong. Yeah, and uh, and I saw him, and I felt this this is based on a real character, because <laughs> uh, Stanley did a documentary called The Other World. Yeah. Where, yeah, where he's visiting his neighbor, who's this weird guy living out, and Tommy Chong's character is is that character and i also i mean i read interviews afterwards where he mentioned this and I, but i i felt you know wow this is so cool i i actually heard he was thinking about uh, iggy pop first in that part mm -hmm. which would have been perfect visually because he kind of mm -hmm. looked like his neighbor <laughs> um, so uh, what, what's your thought on on uh, thoughts on uh, colorado space i mean i loved it i loved it I think it might have been kind of tainted by Mandy because they do have a lot of similarities, a sort of similarities. I believe that if Color Out of Space came out before Mandy, Color Out of Space would have been the bigger film. And I think it kind of got lost in the polarization that Mandy did with its audience. I mean, you know what Mandy is like. People either love it or they hate it. And if you didn't like Mandy, there's not a chance in hell that you're going to go and watch Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage when you know this like it's a colourful, weird movie. But I mean, I just lapped it up, you know. I mean, it's like you said, it's just like, welcome back, Richard Stanley, we've missed you. And thanks, I, I loved it. Stanley is one of those guys where I actively seeking interviews mm. with him to listen to because he's such a great storyteller and he has this quite monotonic voice you know, just going on. There's no breaks in between the words or sentences. <laughs> mm. uh, obviously, from smoking a lot of pot uh, the last 50 years or so <laughs> and mm -hmm. some other substances. And he just goes on with all these bizarre details. And he sees some... I mean, I, 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 a couple of days ago, I heard him retell a story about a burglar. Someone had broken into his house and, and took a stone or something. Mm which of course was something magical. And, you know, that was just the, the MacGuffin, the burglary. Then he started to talk about his neighbors and his <laughs> investigation, who was the, 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 the thief. Yeah. And that's, it's magic to listen to. That oh, yeah. guy is a national treasure in all ways possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, read somewhere that he actually made an audio book out of Color Out of Space. He actually read, yeah. he's read it. I'm I Which is one of those things that one day it's going to have to turn up in the collection. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I will. I, it, I think it was only on cassette though. I don't have a cassette player. Yeah, that's kind of what put me off as well. It's like, well, look, I, I can appreciate you know all of the retro with you know VHS and vinyl. I mean, I've always listened to vinyl. Uh, haven't always watched VHS because when VHS died out, it died out. But then it came back because somebody wouldn't let it go. But I mean, cassettes. I mean, I don't really. I can't see cassettes being as big and you know making such a comeback 
like you know vinyl did it's crappy quality on cassettes i in my i mean you can't compare it to vinyl in any way it's no. more like a, it's really a nostalgia thing it's not even a quality thing yeah. it's, uh, i think it's just for the you know the gimmickry i've been thinking about buying a vinyl actually because uh, as you might have noticed i heard kylie minogue's latest album disco mm -hmm. which is like it's probably it's 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 the best disco dance album I've heard in like twenty years or something like that. Oh, cool. I just want to I just want to get it out. I'm not a, it's not really my genre and uh, and Kylie Minogue is cool and all, but you know it's nothing like I I you know I log on to to Tidal or Spotify and listen to, mm -hmm. but uh, somehow I started listening to it a couple of weeks ago and I can't stop listening to it. It's <laughs> like. Uh, so much it's just, like i said it's just what 2020 needs yeah Some pure kylie minogue happiness yeah well that's not bad i mean what you like yeah. you like and then that's... welcome to fred's kylie minogue podcast <laughs> next episode we'll oh, okay. <laughs> but i mean we could talk about kylie minogue i mean she's done a couple of films she's done a couple of interesting music choices i mean she yeah. collaborated with nick cave she had songs written for her by the Manic Street Preachers. and uh, She's cool. She's cool. Yeah, of course she is. There's nothing yeah. wrong with Kylie. I love Kylie. We love Kylie. The We Love Kylie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My last choice for 2020 would have to be Possessor by Brandon Cronenberg. Now, it's always interesting watching the child of a legend build their own career but what Brandon Cronenberg is doing is he's basically doing what his father laid out with the the body horror genre that Cronenberg senior perfected and we even see this in his debut film you know the excellent antiviral which we've talked a lot about uh, so both antiviral and possessor you know they're very 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 much body horror in a Cronenbergian way, which is a fair a fair way to describe it, as this is the path that the young Cronenberg has taken to go down. Possessor isn't really a, a slick science fiction, but it's like more toned down, bureaucratic. It's more along the lines of stuff like Scanners or Shivers, where the science fiction isn't all about spaceships and great adventures, but more about, you know, like, small cooperative levels with human emotions and corporality in the front seat much like viral you know it's all about designer diseases which is kind of creepy thinking about 2020 <laughs> yeah, it is you're almost going conspiratorial here you know oh yeah uh, <laughs> yes it's cronenberg's fault yes. cronenberg is covid <laughs> Andrea Riceborough, who also had the lead in Mandy, is in this, and she plays a proxy agent with the ability to enter into other characters' bodies as to control them. But then something goes wrong with the host she is in, and the host reacts to her presence, and she becomes trapped within this host. And the host himself awakens from this slumbering self. So there's like a, a power struggle for the body, and then he sets off on a dark adventure of his own right. It's weird, it's trippy, it's got some excellent little montages and, you know, juxtaposition. Uh, cinematography by Karim Hussain, who's done several other short films with Cronenberg. I mean, to be honest, I find that Brandon is making the films that I wanted David to keep making. But where David stepped away from that genre after existence and went more into, like, drama, thriller-oriented material... I'm eagerly embracing a new king of body horror with Brandon and doing it in his own right. It never feels like he's like doing a David Cronenberg film. It feels like he's doing a Brandon Cronenberg film and they're using the same elements. And the connection of being father and son, you know, that's, it's, I look at that more as like a fun fact and it's very corporal, which is very fitting for the Cronenbergs. Another one of those movies I, I haven't seen, but I really would love to see. And I loved Antiviral. I think it's a, a magnificent uh, movie, uh, quite disturbing also. Uh, uh, and this one kind of, you know, it's been it's been on my list for uh, quite some time. I wanted to buy the, the Blu-ray or, you know, but, it, you know, I haven't gotten around to it. But uh, mm. 
and I doubt I will be able to see it before before this end year. This end year, but I, you know, I have big hopes for 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 Cronenberg Junior here, because it's. Uh, I mean, his she with his first movie, you could see that the guy had talent and the story. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about this. There's no there's no nepotism there. You yeah. know, he, he he knows what he's doing. So yeah. Houston and the original Houston's hallucinations. Starring the girls with Hex Appeal, Joyce Harris, Kathy Bard, Sherry Winters, Cindy Curtis. Girls, girls, and more girls, dressed in the most daring designs Paris has to offer. And if you want mystery, witness the unbelievable flight to outer space. See a girl without a middle, and the weird and unusual burning of a she-devil. See all this and more in Houston's Hallucinations, coming on this stage soon. Extra, extra, the first time on any American stage, see the talked-about girl in the topless swimsuit. It's sexational. For some reason, I've seen, I probably have seen more documentaries this year than any other year. I've seen more documentaries than, than uh, new documentaries, than new feature films. And there's been a, a couple of them that I would say is really, really good. There's some true new modern favorites out there. I would say the, the first one was was about the guy I never heard about before called or named Walter Mercado called Mucho Mucho Amor mm -hmm. uh, on Netflix. And boy, did I fell in love with this guy. <laughs> the whole, the whole, you know, he's, he was this, this uh, psychic and astrologer. I understand he was a superstar, you know, megastar, unbelievable big uh, in that audience. And he, he's, he have, he, in many ways, he feels very forced. There's a lot of uh, bling bling. There's a lot of glitter, makeup, but it's, it's, it's kind of like Richard Simmons, Simmons, you know, the, 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 you kind of feel that he's a good guy, you know, he's a, he's a, he might be a, quite weird and out there somewhere, but he, he obviously is doing what he, he feels he should do. And that's spreading happiness and positivity yes. around him, maybe a little bit punishing himself in that way because you know you give so much you give so much and maybe it will be quite over you know when when you have so much people around you uh admiring you i can imagine you get tired but we, walter in 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 you know wasn't like richard simmons richard simmons just pulled back from everything and people haven't seen him you should you should listen to this podcast about richard simmons it's great yeah you keep you've, you've mentioned that before yeah, it's a it's a good one, uh, but Walter, you know, he he, for for business reasons, he kind of you know withdraw from from publicity and 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 uh, created himself a, a quiet, nice life with all his rings and glittery costumes <laughs> and his and his uh, his assistant. Uh, I, I guess. It's his assistant, but it, I, I guess also maybe it was his lover or boyfriend or husband, or mm -hmm. it felt a bit unclear there. Uh, have you seen Mucho Mucho Amor? Yes, I have actually. It's yeah. uh, I, I, I love Slices of Life, like that documentary, but I also become quite depressed when I watch them <laughs> <laughs> because you know it's 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 kind of terrible how people can be used in that way. Oh yeah. And end up in those situations. But it seemed, for me, it kind of felt that he kept his positivity anyway, somehow, yeah. at least yeah. at least on the surface, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's a difficult things to do because, you know, he could easily become an alcohol, a bitter alcoholic somewhere and then, you know, died way earlier than he did. Yeah, true. I, I'm grateful that this documentary came around because I was introduced to him and, and, and you know, it, it, it's just a fascinating weird character you know uh, uh one of those truly unique are you 
sorry, I'm looking at the video screen here. It kind of looked like you're, he was scratching himself with a knife here on the other side. No, it's a it's a painter spatula. <laughs> okay, okay, I lost myself. No shop, no shop hands. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll be. I I, I I I I recommend this. It's one of my fave docs from this year. Cool. Uh, there's a documentary I've been looking forward to for a long, long time which is uh, Fulci for Fake. And being such a fan of Lucio Fulci that I am, this was a mandatory watch. And it does give a lot of Fulci uh, and add to stuff that we know and stuff that we didn't know. But the interesting thing about it is that a lot of it is told through interviews with Camilla Fulci, who we rarely have seen talk about work with the father. And sadly, she passed just as they were in the post with this film. Now, this little documentary is built all around a scenario of an interviewer trying to become Fulci, as to understand Fulci for a part he is going to be playing. I mean, probably the documentary, as it has you know him in he's dressed as Fulci and made up as Fulci in the documentary. But the weird thing about it is that it has intersections with this this actor trying to embody Fulci, and there's a really really disturbing part towards the end where he has this like model in bed with him and then she gets up and goes to the shower and he steals her panties and he gives him a little sniff and then he folds them away and puts them in a trophy box all while he's trying to become Fulci <laughs> which is so weird because that <laughs> is so far away from anything I would see as Fulci ever that's strange it's, it was just so weird and it kind of it kind of takes away from the documentary because it's been quite good up to that point, you know, that it just, it like goes over an edge where it's like, well, hang on, is this you or are you trying to show something about Fulci that you won't say or what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. But apart from that, you know, decent documentary, gives a lot of information. And again, like we've talked about before, you and I, you know, we, we, we'll watch this kind of shit. We'll watch Talking Heads for like three hours just because we're interested. So that's, Basically what that is, is like a Talking Heads documentary about Fulci, which is well worth the watch. Does it bring up his, his death in it also? It does, it does. And it's actually told uh, by Camilla. So you get like a, a, a different perspective on it. And it's somebody who's close to him. So you can see that, you know, she is still moved by her father's passing and detailing into it, you know, the way that she wants, the way that he wanted her to become part of the film industry, which is why, you know, she became his assistant and second director and stuff like that in his films. So it, it's it's quite intimate with the through the perspective of Camilla Fulci. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is something I got to see, of course, as a Fulci fan. So, but I've, I've uh, when I first read about it and I've seen some trailer, I, I feel a bit skeptical about this acting thing. Uh, you know, it, but, you know, I'm 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 open uh, to see what's it about, uh, but it kind of bothers me when I hear you talk about this panty thing. Really, you know, it's like yeah, okay, okay. But I, well, I I'm, not, not, you, I'm not usually bothered by anything, but that bothered no. me because it's in the context of like I'm going to become Fulci, and it's like sniff sniff hide. It's like hang on, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, but that's that's the letdown of of this of this product mm-hmm. of this production. You know that it's it's. It's not really clear in where its position is. Yeah, there's actually been two documentaries about big boat disasters here in Scandinavia during this year. The first one is Scandinavian Star, and the second one is Estonia. And as a kind of a conspiracy buff, <laughs> I absolutely loved both of these because they both have a quite strong conspiracy tinted ending to them. Uh, I mean, in uh, both were made for Swedish streaming service, and both are very, very well produced. They have all the the key players involved, and they're they're very. I mean, Scandinavian, Scandinavian stars. Uh, it, Scandinavian star was a big fire that killed mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. in Estonia, as we know, sank in the in the in the Baltic Sea. And and the and the disaster part of it that is very, very touching, which I often have a hard time listen to or watch because I'm. Uh, quite a softy myself mm. you know and i hate big boats and i cannot lie uh that was a reference <laughs> <laughs> it took it took a minute but yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway I, I i dislike big boats a lot uh, i do i do um but there is there's interesting that this year offers 
at least in, in the Scandinavian star case, a quite clear answer to what was going on, that it was an insurance fraud, basically, that it was an, an arson, mm -hmm. uh, a deliberately planned arson, which has been kind of known before through radio, radio mm. documentaries. Uh, in, in the Estonia case, it's a little bit more open, you know, they found a huge hole, a four meter uh, wide hole uh, in, the, in the ship, which shouldn't be there, which kind of feels like something uh, uh, hit the ship, mm. uh, which also works fine with the witness reports of, a, of an explosion or big bangs before, you know, the, the, the ship started to sink. But it's too super well journalistically top-notch quality productions uh, about two of the biggest disasters we ha we had around this area. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't think you can see this outside of Scandinavia, but uh, they're available on the you, you know on the usual places. Just just search for it and you'll find it. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, from boats to music. I mean, I'm very much into music, listen to a lot of music, and I watch quite a lot of music documentaries. And two music documentaries this year have been really, really top fucking notch. The first one is Where Does a Body End by Marco Porcia. And it's about Michael Gira's band Swans. And there's three reasons why this really, you know, stood out as like, this is good shit. And one, it presents a superb and full perspective on Michael Gira's band Swans. Two, it lets songs play instead of, you know, like snippets that you usually get in music documentaries. And three, which is perhaps the most genius thing with this documentary, the sound mix makes sure that the music is really, really amped up and so much louder than everything else, which is such an important part of Swans' performances and something that the band are known for. And this adds to the experience of the documentary, you know, so it's, it's loud, it's powerful, as much of the discussion about the music in the piece is. So I would say that Marco Porcia gives the ultimate document of Michael Gira's ever-evolving band in Where Does the Body End? Second, Beastie Boys, story. Oh, there's a cat. Beastie Boys, story by Spike Jones. This was fantastic as well. It's it's not the regular music documentary, but it's a mix of stand-up, spoken word, and performance. As uh, Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz, you know, they just talk us through the story of the Beastie Boys and show pictures and just give anecdotes and little stories from, you know, the way they evolved as a band, where they came and how they went on after Adam Yauch died and passed. It's insightful, it's really, really interesting, it's emotional, and it's an excellent way to tell the story of a band. So, you know, two, two documentaries about two polarised music genres, but telling the story of these bands in such interesting and intriguing ways, you know, absolutely, definitely amongst my best favourite films this year. The question is, where is the ultimate Kylie Minogue documentary now? <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting, you know. <laughs> that might have to be our next project. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, would we, would you, would you, would you dare talk to Kylie Minogue if you met Kylie Minogue? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I, I, you know, I wouldn't dare to talk to others, but if I saw Kylie Minogue here in Mashta, where I live, you know, shilling, you know, at, <laughs> at, at, uh, at uh, you know, you know, I would say, hi, Kylie, you were great in, in Cut. <laughs> Love you in Neighbours. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> since I was a child, Jason, since my mother made me borrow a lot of weird books at the library and took me to weird lectures, you can say, at the Ustersund bus station, <laughs> I've been fascinated by UFOs. Uh, it kind of gone up and down. Sometimes it's, I've been more like, ah, blah, it's just imagination, you know, people are hallucinating or it's just fake. And, but to be honest, uh, during the last couple of years, I kind of came to the conclusion that something is flying around up there or in there or wherever. But it's, it's something. I'm absolutely sure of it. I admit it. And this year uh, had the release of James Fox documentary, The Phenomenon. Uh, James Fox had done a couple of uh, uh, similar documentaries before, uh, 
all are I, I know what I saw I think is one is called uh, anyway but it's, it's quite good stuff but the phenomenon is kind of the the peak of UFO documentaries it's it's a it's one of those where they actually took the subject and just stripped away all the bullshit around all the rumors <laughs> and legends and went directly to the to the facts mm. to the uh, original witnesses to their original reports and uh, for me it was so nice to see something that actually feels like it's you know you can show it to a non-believer and yeah you're quite, quite sure that person would say you know yeah there you know there's something about this you know it's so in my eyes so mm -hmm. convincing about the subject you've seen it Yes, I have, because uh, you more or less, you know, twisted my arm and said, you have to see this, you have to see this. And you, you know, violence can sell everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have seen it. I mean, we, uh, I, I asked you actually randomly one night after hearing you talk about it several times and you said, well, it, you can get it there and there and there. So I actually went online and bought it. And mm. it was worth every penny because it really, exactly as you describe it, you know, it's taken away all of the stuff that makes you a skeptic to, in question. You know, when it gets out of hand and it's like, oh, well, there was blah, 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 and then blah, 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 and there was fingering my bum and blah, 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 and bright lights and blah, 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 blah. And I came back and I could jump high and everybody else, you know, all of that bullshit that always comes along with UFO stories. It just, like you said, removes all of that. And it just says, well, look, this is the fact this happened, this happened, this happened. And the credibility of some of the people in the documentary also add to it being like, okay, well, why would that guy be making this up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the way it's just scaled back, as you said, you know, that's that's kind of what sells it. And I thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a, also a well-made documentary. I yeah. mean, it was the labor of love for, for James Fox. He, he was sometimes out shooting it himself basically uh he was editing in a shed somewhere uh and uh from time to time jacques valet the the old uh, ufologist came by and told him you can't do that you can do that you know so it was a uh, it took like seven years for them to make this and it's 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 it's, it's worth the money if you're gonna buy it or rent it or, or watch it so clearly i would say it's my it's it is my favorite documentary of 2020 it is Hmm. I can understand that. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean with that? It's kind of tinted with something. No. Yeah. Well, you know, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> Why we're at it? I mean, we're talking about UFOs and weird stuff like that. I mean, I would like to plug your second podcast, Merrickly Heads Facton. Oh yeah. That you have together with Jimmy Beeris, where you actually do discuss a lot of sightings and findings and this kind of weird cryptozoology and UFOs and stuff. And I, I would highly recommend that as well as a compliment. Thank you, thank you. I'm flattered. Oh, shouldn't be. Okay, moving on. Friends, here's a wonderful Christmas gift for anyone who smokes because it says Merry Christmas and Happy Smoking 200 times. Yes, 10 packs of those better-tasting Luckies, all done up for Christmas in a beautiful carton created just for Lucky Strike by the famous designer, Mr. Raymond Loy. It'll look so bright and colorful under your Christmas tree, and it's such a welcome gift to anyone who enjoys a good smoke. Because, you know, smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste. And the fact of the matter is, Luckies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. That's why you can't go wrong if you remember your friends with these colorful Christmas cartons of Lucky Strike. Doot, doot, doot. Be happy, go lucky for Christmas gifts this year. As we promised initially, there will be Christmas film suggestions before this is over. And uh, do you want to go first? I was thinking of a specific title here before we started, and that title was Dial Code Santa Claus, which recently has gotten a beautiful Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. I saw it a number of years uh, uh, on a, a German Blu-ray, which looks splendid, has English subs, uh, mm. it's a French movie. Anyway, I mean, uh, uh, Dial Code Santa Claus is uh, it's like a mix of Home Alone, 
a serial killer thriller, a little bit of action, a bit of French fanciness, you know, the French, you know, they're always doing their stuff. Le fancy. Yeah, but it's, it's so weird and, you know, it's colorful. But we were sitting here and talking, I felt maybe I should recommend probably, I would say, I, I think it's, for me, the best Christmas horror movie, at least in modern times. It kind of gotten, uh, 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 well, there's like three, <laughs> there's there's three movies with these titles, I, and I guess you, <laughs> you know which one I mean. Uh, first, we have in 1974, we, we have Black Christmas, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, good old slasher. Good gem. Yeah, and in 2019, Sofia Takal's actually quite weird take on Black Christmas called Black Christmas came out not a remake at all actually it's more uh i i compared it to a uh, american movie of the week mm. uh, from the 70s combined <laughs> with a, a modern slasher i like it actually mm. but i would say that glenn morgan's 2006 version black christmas is my absolute favorite movie because it's christmas porn mm. it's it's really just it feels like one of those disgusting coca-cola commercials with <laughs> fat Santa, you know, a lot of, you know, lights and snow and stuff, but here mixed with some delicious gore and, and black humor. The 2006 Black Christmas is, is, is probably the only Christmas movie I return to every year around Yule time mm -hmm. uh, uh, because I feel it's, it's gorgeous to look at. It's gory. It's well-made. It's quite witty. It might not win any Oscars. Who the fuck wants to win Oscars anyway? You know, <laughs> it, it's, it just delivers what it's supposed to deliver. Yeah. Well, that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, not an original choice, maybe, but I feel it's worth revisiting. And I remember the shit it got when it first was released and people were upset. And nowadays, everyone loves it. They think mm -hmm. it's great. It's awesome. It's one of those movies. Yeah. Know? Oh, cool. I have but, to go back and look yeah. at that then. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's it. what Christmas is all about, repetition, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Clichés and repetition and... and, and, and uh, all that bullshit. Yeah, all that bullshit, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's my recommendation, you know. Cool. But check out that French movie, Jason. You, 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 I, I'm sure you'll love it, at least. Yeah, I will do that. That's always, always interesting with new stuff. I think my Christmas suggestion would be a movie was made in 1980, so it's 40 this year. And it's Bill Lustig's Maniac. <laughs> is that a Christmas movie? Yes. Or is this like Die Hard? Is a Christmas movie discussion coming up? Or yeah, is it, it could uh... be, could be, could be. <laughs> let me, let me hear. I mean, so yeah, this movie all takes place during Christmas. And this is a time when many people feel extra alone and extra vulnerable. And Maniac taps right into that. And, you know, this is how a serial killer movie should be made. There's none of the blame the mother, none of the childhood flashbacks, all that bullshit. It's more about, it's more of the splatter and gore version of Psycho. Because here you have a guy telling us all of his secrets and all of the torment it's bestowing on him. And at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, separation angst and loneliness that drives, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, drives Cito, Frank Cito, Joe Spinell's character. He's reliving the trauma of the death of his mother. And by killing his victims, he's keeping his mother at home, you know, safe from the accident that takes her life. That's what the I told you not to go out tonight line is all about. And Spinell is absolutely phenomenal in this. And it's unquestionably the performance of a lifetime. And it's one that we love so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a masterpiece. It's a gritty, sweaty quite disgusting and disturbing masterpiece um I, yeah but i never ever thought about it as being set during christmas yeah. is there like christmas trees and stuff yeah there? it's a christmas this, movie Seven, 17 minutes in zito carries a corpse around and there's a neighbor who asks him oh christmas shopping mr zito <laughs> that that's very christmas it's uh, very christmasy and he yeah, walks yeah, into yeah. his apartment there's a christmas tree in the room 22 uh -huh. minutes in, there's a Christmas wreath on the door with a pretty sinister Santa Claus mask hanging on the back. An hour 11, he plays with a Christmas ornament. And at uh, an hour 14, he tells Anna, uh, Caroline Monroe, that he usually drops off a, a, a wreath at the cemetery for his mother at Christmas time. And he does that. 
So yes, it takes place at Christmas, and it's a Christmas movie, and I think it's one that you absolutely can add to your Christmas viewing list from now on. I definitely have it on my Christmas-themed genre film list, and I will be watching it again this year. Uh, same here. If I if I ever I you know I'm I'm shocked. M my mind is blown here over the cr Christmas details. I mean, I mean, you obviously have studied this movie hard to find those Christmas things. <laughs> so so I'm uh, I'm impressed, Jason. I'm impressed. Oh, you thank know. you. So there you go. 2020, the year of epidemics and pandemonia in review, and a couple of Christmas suggestions to lighten the mood at the end there. Uh, Thank you very much, Fred, for being with me today and doing this. Thank you, Jason. And I would like to just add that if you have Twitter, you can join the Human Centipod on our official Twitter account, which you'll find. It's I think it's like Human Centipod, but you can search for the Human Centipod and you'll find us. So, yeah, that's, that's it. Always social. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, once again, stay safe and uh, take care and have whatever kind of a Christmas you do and have. <laughs> ho, ho, ho! And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.